Happy New Year, first episode of 2021. Thank you for all of the support in 2020, all of your encouragement, all of the reviews and comments and and even by the way, I just read a I just read like a constructive criticism um comment on on uh YouTube um that was just a, about blabbing uh about <laughs> myself a little too much in a given episode and uh individual differences apply and everything else but i was like so grateful for it it was like what a i i i think constructive criticism is is such a kindness um uh, you know when obviously just criticizing someone trying to cut someone down is a totally different thing but someone that cares about the show likes about the show offering uh like tips and suggestions from a listener's perspective that's amazing and and the overwhelming um positive feedback that i get from people all the time really really helped keep me going in 2020 not just keep me going with this podcast but helped me keep improving on the podcast, adding video, adding highlights, trying to do more on Instagram and social media and stuff to um, to get the word out there about this show. And uh, you know, it was it was quite a ride. I knocked a lot of things out of the park. Be be outside of having all my income vanish and uh and not being able to do what i normally do for a living for a career for my passion i also had a lot of time to work on myself and and got really into wellness and uh and the things that i don't normally that i believe in that i like doing when i have the chance and are just so difficult when i'm on the road like three cities a week or whatever which i often uh am and so Feeling good about this year, guys. We got exciting vaccine news happening, and I've just been—I am such—I'm uh, so grateful for this show. Uh, science gives me hope, um, especially after seeing all of the all of the science denial and conspiracy zealots and everything in 2020. All of that stuff just raging. Uh, to the surface to to be able to talk with actual researchers doing real work to make the world a better place and innovating is I'm so lucky that I get to do this I'm so lucky that I get to share this so I'm very grateful for you guys I we're gonna be talking about wearables today I got a Fitbit I was inspired by this conversation I just wanted to say this before we get into the conversation so you know that I actually did it I, I, I said I was going to do something, I committed to it, and it's working, I'll talk about at the end of the show, I'll, in, in the in the outro, I'll, I'll talk about it's it's going, so far, it's going better for me than, um, than I would have, uh, would have expected and even hoped, you know, got a little bit of that new year motivation going, um, but, uh, but when you're listening to this podcast, just, uh, uh, just so you know, I'm opting in. I got I got the wearable. Uh, I signed up for the study. I'm already uh, gaining um, benefits from this. I'm not even telling you guys what to do one way or another. 
Um, but just just wanted to give you a quick update before you listen to this conversation that uh, this is something that I got very, very genuinely excited about, signed up for. I'm committed. I'm, I'm super pumped. And uh, it's already paying off for me. So we'll talk more about that at the end of the show. Enjoy today's episode. It's really fantastic. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. I'm comedian Shane Moss, and joining me today is a very special guest um, who I I can't wait to talk to. Uh, this is uh, uh, before I started doing a science podcast, my very, very early interest in science when I was a teenager was technology and transhumanism stuff and wondering what it would be like to be a robot and upload my consciousness into computers and all of these things that was uh, you know 20 20 some years ago that's what initially grabbed me uh and and brought me into science and expanded quite a bit since then but i get to nerd out today I'm talking with Stanford professor Michael Snyder is joining me. Michael, could you uh, could you tell me and the listeners a little bit about yourself, your work, and what you do? Sure. So I'm actually a professor at Stanford University School of Medicine. Uh, we're all about big data and health. So I think the way medicine is practiced these days is is really antiquated, to say the least. Quite frankly, it's terrible. And I think we can totally transform what we're doing at so many different levels. If, if you look into a doctor's office today, it's virtually identical to the same as it was 40 years ago. It's knowing that we're going to be talking about all of these amazing wearable devices and and technologies that we have today and uh, and the uh, future possibilities. Thinking about just like a stethoscope and stuff does seem uh, really uh, antiquated at this point. It is, yeah. The stethoscope is about 200 years old <laughs> uh, and, and it's still used today. And when you think about all the technologies that could be used, they're not. And it's just crazy. So that's what we're trying to do. We're exploring all these new and advanced technologies to be able to change the way we manage your health. And I don't know where you want to dig in, but I'm happy to jump right in. <laughs> I think I know where I want to start. First of all, uh, well, people always like a personal connection and kind of hearing people's stories. You've actually made yourself a guinea pig in in a lot of uh, your work. Could you tell people a little bit about some of the things that kind of your early interest, early introduction to this, what you started doing, kind of experimenting on yourself and and uh, some of the results that you've seen. Yeah, sure. It stems from the fact that we've invented a lot of technologies over the years for being able to collect data at a scale that no one's ever done before. And we were doing it to try and sol solve biological problems. And then uh, I moved to Stanford about 11 years ago and realized that the same kind of approach that we're doing should really be applied to medicine. 
when you walk into a doctor's office today, they'll measure maybe 10 things, maybe a little bit more. And some of what they measure, I'll argue, is fairly worthless. Um, and we could easily be measuring literally, you know, well, we do, we measure tens of thousands of things or even hundreds of things. In fact, uh, depends how you want to count it. You could argue we're measuring billions, taking billions of measurements every time we measure someone. And we can just get a so much clearer view of their health. The, the other thing, I'll jump right in on what's wrong with medicine today, which Lovely. is they basically, medicine today is a matter of treating you when you get ill. It's really sick care, it's not health care. Mm. And so what we're trying to do is actually profile people while they're healthy with the ultimate goal of keeping them healthy. And if you see things starting to go off, catch it early and start changing people's trajectories before they get symptomatic, before they get ill. And that way you can really keep people healthy. The, really the ultimate goal is to have people live very, very long, healthy lives, literally maybe 120 years and then just die. That's how I think we should be operating. We don't operate that way at all. Really, we, people only go to the doctor when they're ill. We want to see the the oil light go off in the car, not the smoke coming out of the hood before we uh, go out. That's exactly something. right. Yeah, that's exactly right. So basically, what our stick is all about is taking very deep measurements on people and following them over time. And the other big aspect of this is that we're all different. So right now, medicine is treat people one size fits all. So uh, every decision about your health will be based on population-based measurements. And this is why we think it's so important to measure people at their own personal level, because it turns out even a simple thing like your temperature, when they put a thermometer in your mouth, the, the, the word out there is that your temperature is 98.6. And it turns out, first of all, that number is wrong. The number is more <laughs> like 97.5 for most people. But the more important point is there's a spread. It ranges literally from uh, 90, well, the, what's called the 25th quartile, so where 25% of people are, is 94.6. And the 75th quartile, as it's called, is 99.1. So most people have, you know, they're not 98.6, first of all. And huh. second, if your normal healthy baseline is, is say, say it's 94.6, and you walk into a physician's office today and they measure your temperature, they'll tell you, and it comes out at 98.6, they'll tell you you're healthy, everything's fine, you're good. But you're really at four degrees Fahrenheit over your normal temperature, you're ill, I guarantee it. Four degrees, nobody's healthy when they're up four degrees. So this is why we think it's so, so important to know your healthy baseline so you can see that jump up. And so this is how it actually evolved into me. So I've learned about um, two very significant things from my health. One was diabetes. In that case, that, that one I actually learned from my genome sequence. I sequenced my DNA. And I discovered that uh, I was at high risk for type 2 diabetes, which is a huge surprise at the time because uh, no, as far as I knew, no one in my family was diabetic. I'm a rather thin guy. I've gained a little weight since then for reasons I can explain. But um, I've uh, um, basically, it was a total surprise. So my genome said, oh, you're at high risk for type 2 diabetes. So we started measuring me at a level that had never been done before. We were sequencing my DNA and we were sampling me every three months and literally making tens of thousands of measurements on all the molecules in my blood and such. And one of those things we were measuring was glucose. And wouldn't you know it, 
During the course of study, my glucose shot up out of control, wow. as predicted by my genome sequence. It was after a very nasty viral infection, which turned out there are other people this has happened to, too, I've discovered since. But um, it's an unknown connection. Now it's becoming very popular with COVID-19. We can come back to that. But viral infections probably do trigger uh, diabetes. It's pretty clear that's the case now. It's known for type 1, by the way, but that was not known for type 2. So anyway, that was surprise number one. I was high risk for diabetes, and I caught it because I was measuring myself so carefully. Mm. And I initially, I got it under control. In fact, it was so boringly low, I stopped looking at it, although I was still collecting the measurements. I just wasn't looking at it. And then it shot up again three years later, also out of control. And ironically, it shot up when I stopped running. Uh, that's how I got it under control initially. So mm. from my, when I first discovered I was type 2 diabetic, uh, I, I had the world's worst diet. I ate sweets and all that stuff people normally do. And I had been biking, but not as much as I could. So I, I basically increased my biking, started running, totally changed my diet, and got my glucose totally under control initially uh, by just a lifestyle change. Mm -hmm. And then, as I say, I stopped looking at it. And then later, about four years later, um, Someone else looked at my day and said, Mike, you're back to diabetic again. We looked at when it went up, and it's after I'd stopped running. So wow. it actually shot up. But I also got a second viral infection as well then. And so it's not clear if it's the viral infection or the running or po probably both actually that triggered it. So I started running. I got it down, but I never got it down to you know normal levels. I got it down what's called pre-diabetic levels. Um, and so it actually kept creeping up even since then. I've been doing, I've been measuring myself for 11 years now. So <laughs> quite a long time. I, I also saw that you, you diagnosed, you kind of were able to self-diagnose before confirming um, Lyme disease as yeah, well. Yeah, that's right. So, so that was the other major finding uh, for me. So about seven or eight years ago, we started playing with these wearables. So, you know, Fitbits and things like that you've heard about. People are primarily using those as fitness trackers at the time. They wear them for three months, discover their patterns, throw them in a drawer. But what we realized, well, these are pretty darn powerful physiological monitors. So I started wearing them. And in fact, uh, we tested out large numbers of these things, <laughs> probably about 50. I ultimately settled them eight. I'm wearing four smartwatches right now. I normally wear a <laughs> ring. Uh, I wear all kinds of devices. I typically use about eight of these every day. And so wow. we actually, uh, yeah, we do tons of measurements. And so the big surprise was that, because um, I measure myself so much, I discovered my Lyme disease from a simple smartwatch and a device that actually measures your blood oxygen. It's called a pulse ox. And um, yeah, I discovered as um, the backstory was, I was helping my brother put up fences in rural Massachusetts. And then two weeks later, I was flying to Norway and I measure myself all the time, as you probably figured out. Mm. And on a flight from Frankfurt to Oslo in Norway, um, I noticed my blood oxygen was abnormally low and my heart rate was way higher than normal. And when I landed, it didn't come back to normal. So I knew something wasn't quite right. I wasn't symptomatic at that point. And then later I got a low grade fever and I went to a doctor in Norway who drew blood and saw that in fact, uh, my immune system was activated, which is characteristic of a bacterial infection. And he recommended penicillin. And I said, no, no, I need doxycycline, which is what you use for, for Lyme. And it was a little tense for a few moments because doctors don't like their patients to tell them what to order. But he did give in, gave it to me, and I took it, it cleared it right up. And when I got back from Norway, I got tested. I was Lyme positive. There's a uh, serological test you use. And it's well controlled because before I left, I was actually 
negatives. I did what's called seroconverted during that time. My, what's that? My, uh, uh, it means like when you, same with COVID going on right now, when you get infected, you'll make antibodies to it. So initially you're negative, And then after you get infected with a pathogen, whether it's a virus, in this case, Lyme, you make antibodies to it and you'll show up as a positive signal then on a test. And that's, that's what happened for me. So bottom line is I, I was confirmed Lyme positive. And, but what triggered the whole thing was that my smartwatch was a key factor in all this that I could tell when I was getting sick before symptoms just from a smartwatch. So what we did then, I had two years of data. So we looked at all this data and it turns out there were four times when my heart rate, it turns out my skin temperature you can measure. You measure all kinds of things with these smartwatches. They're very powerful devices. And we discovered that both my, my heart rate and it's called my resting heart rate and my skin temperature uh, were both elevated every single time I got sick, including the Lyme time. Uh, and there were, there were four times of that. And what was very cool was that one of those, one was Lyme and two other times were a, a viral infection, which is normally what happens when you get a cold, you get a viral infection. Mm-hmm. The fourth time I was asymptomatic. I only discovered it because I measured myself so much. And so what was cool was that every single time I was ill, my heart rate jumped up and my skin temperature jumped up and we could pick it up with a smartwatch. And it also occurred in every case before symptoms appeared. Wow. So, yeah, it's pretty powerful. Now, what we haven't gotten to yet is that we've been following 109 people, <laughs> same as me, very, very deep profiling. And they're all wearing smartwatches too. So we went and looked at their, their data and three of them had gotten sick as well during the time they were wearing their watches. And one got sick twice and same thing. Every single time they got ill, their heart rate jumped up again in advance of symptoms. And for some, the skin temperature worked. For some others, it didn't work. There's, we think, technical reasons why that didn't. So, you know, the big result there then is that we can tell when you're getting ill before your symptoms appear with a simple smartwatch. Amazing. So we we are right now in, in the midst of a of a global pandemic with a novel virus, which it's basically it's evolutionary niche. It's superpower is that it's asymptomatic for so long. It's it's not it's not the most, thankfully, not the most severe virus humans have ever encountered on Earth, uh, but it's one of the sneakiest <laughs> ones you, you could possibly imagine. And, and, and it's just because, and then, I mean, all of the psychological things that goes into people not, you know, used to being able to like, well, someone coughs and starts hacking up a lung, you distance yourself from them, but you don't have those those same cues that you normally would and you don't even have those same cues within yourself but uh but potentially some of these measurements it might be changing heart rate you might be changing and 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 this wouldn't be i i'm i'm guessing you're not saying like a watch is going to tell you hey for a hundred percent you have covid but you might you might be getting a little warning sign like hey maybe it's a good time to um 
isolate yourself and go and That's take right. a test. So as you might imagine, when COVID hit, we really started improving, <clears throat> excuse me, our algorithms. So we've, uh, and we built this infrastructure to be able to pull in people's data uh, in real time and follow what's going on. And so what we did initially was we started tuning our algorithms to see if we could, you know, maximize detection of COVID when it happens just from a smartwatch. We start with Fitbit. And in 81% of the cases, so just we had 32 people initially, in 80 and in basically 26 of those cases, we could tell uh, the effect of a COVID infection. We saw their heart rate jump up. And wow. then, um, and it turns out it's about seven beats a minute, some lower, some more. Uh, and so we can pick that up from a simple smartwatch, from Fitbit. So we then built an alarming system and we've tested it out now. Uh, and it's, it measures you in real time. So this comes back to something I said earlier. So we follow people in real time. We figure out what their baseline is, what their you know heart rate bouncing around is, and we measure them hour by hour. And if we see an abnormal jump, now one hour won't trigger it. It'll take something like four to six for what we call a first internal alarm. Uh, we call it a yellow alert. <laughs> and if it stays up, it converts to a red alert and it goes back, it can go back to green. So the point is that we're following you hour by hour for your normal baseline. And if this thing jump, if your heart rate jumps up for several hours in a row abnormally, we can tell that. Mm. Okay. And now that can be anything. It could be a viral infection. It's not specific for COVID either. It could be the flu. There's other common colds out there. They're called rhinovirus. It could be any of those things, but we can tell that. Okay. And the other thing is it turns out we can tell it four days on average before symptoms appear. And as you were saying, COVID's super sneaky. So it hits you and you have this long pre- it's called pre-asymptomatic period before your symptoms appear. And so we can actually tell your heart rate, turns out, jumps up way before uh, your symptoms appear for most people. And some people, it's as much as 10 days. In fact, the very first case we had, it was, it's what told us this is really going to work. We had a case come in, the very first one, they told us their diagnosis date and their symptom date, and we looked at when their heart rate jumped up. It was very clear signal, nine and a half days before symptoms. So wow. they were running around spreading the virus for nine and a half days, not knowing because they don't know. And that's true of all these folks. So again, the median's more, the, the average is more like four days wow. uh, with it before symptoms appear. So we think this is very, very powerful. And now we have the algorithms working for other watches as well. So we've just launched a major study, we hope, Everyone listening will come join our study. If you have a smartwatch, all you have to do yeah, is sign up. Get in on it. Get in on science, guys. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. And um, yeah, that, that's all you have to do. If you don't have a smartwatch, you, you can buy one or get, you don't even need the most expensive one on the market, but you, you can basically then enroll in our study and we will ping you when you have an elevated resting heart rate. Now, I want to warn people, you have to contextualize it. So if you see a jump up in heart rate, it might mean that you are getting ill, but it could be other things. Now, it turns out alcohol can do this, not a few drinks at dinner, that'll, it'll jump up your heart rate for a few hours. But if you went on binge drinking, you might get hung over the next day and that will give you a signal. Mm. So, and likewise, if you run a marathon, uh, it'll extend out, your heart rate will stay elevated for a few days. That'll 
also show a signal. Or if you take, you go up into the mountains where the altitude is lower, your your again your heart rate will go up because the oxygen is lower. So so there are these other times that will trigger a signal. So you just contextualize. It. It's not that hard. Well, it might even have that added bonus of of helping people become more mindful of their alcohol or marathon addiction. <laughs> yes, it's true. Well, the other thing that's kind of cool is that it actually picks up when people are hyper stressed. So we've we've had cases where people are very, very stressed uh, and it'll show up as an elevated heart rate signal. And we're also pretty convinced it will pick up asymptomatic infections as well, which, again, is a big deal for COVID. We don't know what fraction of the time. People are get COVID infections and are asymptomatic. Some people estimate it's about half the time. And we think we can pick that up uh, based on some of the work we've done for other infections. We know we can pick up a elevation and signal even if you're asymptomatic, just like the same as if you're pre-symptomatic. Uh, I, I don't I don't know your uh, your personal situation or your your family home life significant other whatever but do you ever do you ever see these things going off and you know, warn the lab like hey guys I'm I'm stressed today like which, which, which one of you one of you guys is making these meters go off so <laughs> well funny you should say that literally it went off uh, I had two red days two red alert days just before our interview here. So I got tested yesterday. I'm waiting for the results to come back today. Everyone in my house is wearing masks now. And in fact, I was supposed to go for an appointment this morning, but I actually canceled that because my heart rate's been running high the last few days. Wow. So uh, now I don't get out much. I'm pretty isolated. So <laughs> I, yeah. So it's probably so not I, COVID, but... Yeah. It may not be COVID, or if I did get it, it, come, it uh, well, I don't like to blame my family members, but there's a chance <laughs> right. it came in from one of them. Yeah. Uh, anyway, but uh, and it may not be COVID, and it turns out this morning it was green, which would be pretty short for COVID, but something was going on, and I was definitely asymptomatic because mm -hmm. I didn't notice anything. So... Uh and I imagine as uh, obviously as as we go from, you know, people, people just hearing about this now, many of the listeners, maybe the first time they've ever um, they've ever been introduced uh, to this idea. It certainly was. I, I had never thought of it, um, but as as this becomes popularized and maybe five, 10 years down the line when, when this is uh, something that a lot of people are taking advantage of, this, this is something that, uh, that will only get more accurate and, and more, we'll have a lot Absolutely. more data come in. And, and so we'll, we'll know when a little thing goes off, if, if this is worth panicking over and worrying about whether your kids gave you COVID or, or if this is, uh, uh no, yeah, I don't view it that way though. That's a, first of all, I, I actually want it to happen now, not five years from now. There are 50 yeah. million smartwatch users in the U S alone, mm -hmm. 50 million who can all have an alarming system right now in the middle of a pandemic. Mm -hmm. And so all they have to do is and sign up and I can tell you it does work. I forgot to say that in, it, members of our team, as we've been perfecting this, have gotten ill. Yeah. And in fact, the very first, as we rolled out now this larger study, the first part of the study was in tuning algorithms. Now the, we've just launched a study where we want to alarm people that their heart rate's jumping up. And no soon as we were tuning this thing, a member of the team got ill 
and his alarm went off 12 hours before he felt symptoms. And the same is true for another member of the team. Right. Their alarm went off two days. So we do know it works internally. And now we've actually rolled it out. And someone just uh, right. enrolled, in the, uh, enrolled in the study and their alarm went off two days and they got COVID. Wow. So we do know it. We're just at the very beginning of this. We do know it works. But oh, we don't yeah. know how many I, oh, I wasn't even, yeah, 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 yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't yeah. saying that it didn't. It, like, everyone should get it now. That's very exciting. <laughs> I, just, I just have a right. fondness for thinking about the, the future of where uh, these these technologies yeah, are. Yeah, our goal you know, is to get it on a billion people, yeah. believe it or not. There's no reason not to. These devices will be $50 in the future. By yeah. the way, are you wearing one now? I'm not. I I, oh, I don't Shane, have a you're Fitbit. Me. I, I know. I need to. I need to get one for Christmas, or maybe, <laughs> uh, maybe once you get the updated one, you can send me one of your four old ones you're no longer using. <laughs> let, let me ask you. Well, I'm totally conflicted. I have a company that's making them now too. I didn't mention them. But <laughs> uh, well, go ahead. <laughs> uh, first of all, what? Uh, when you wear four watches around in public, uh, conversation starter, or you get some funny looks, or what's what's that uh, social experience like? Uh, well, I guess I wear long sleeve shirts a lot, so <laughs> <laughs> it's not so noticeable. In summertime, people see it. Yeah, they always uh, think it's amusing, <laughs> and people will inquire. Yeah, uh, but generally, it's it's you know, I'm I'm at Stanford. We're in nerd city, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, people think. It's kind of cool, and I'm always wearing other devices too. I have something that measures your air. Uh, you know, it can tell what you're getting exposed to, like the biologicals, like allergens and things, as well as chemical exposure. So, so I measure all kinds of stuff. Amazing. <laughs> well, I mean, I would, I would think that if you're, if you're into talking about this, what a, sure. what a great way to advertise at a, you know, at a social setting or, or what? A, a lot of people <laughs> don't have a lead in like that, you know. Do, do, doctor, doctors aren't, yeah, doctors aren't usually bringing like their stethoscope to the uh, party or their sphygmometer or whatever, and uh, <laughs> waiting for someone to ask them about their job. <laughs> You're, you're right. wearing your conversation starter. That's great. Well, um, I am. Well, the other thing is people you often ask, you know, people are concerned about their health. I mean, that's the bottom line. It's a very easy conversation to start. Yeah. And people ask you, well, so even some of you know, you know, how are you doing? People will share, well, you know, I've had these, if, well, not if they don't know you, but if they know you, they'll say, well, you know, I've been getting these back pains or something or, you know, oh, I just had this thing. So, but yeah, you can actually quantify <laughs> And tell people exactly how you are. This is, am so, this so is amazing. People care about their health. Yeah. So, I, I mean, even as you, even as you said, um, you know the. Well, you know, it may not, it may be some other viral infection that I got. It may just be a cold. Who don't, you know, it's not necessarily COVID. But even knowing that, because I've I've always I've always thought um, I've always thought long before COVID when I've had guests on researching aids or whatever these big th i'm like how come how come no one is working on the common cold i know it's not particularly like life-threatening and science tends to address the uh, you know put put out the biggest fires uh for or medicine does anyway to put out the biggest fires first but Still, I mean, in terms of loss of productivity in a year and just making you know people why? miserable. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. To be able to, well, uh, this is to just to quick finish the thought. One of the one of the good things that I thought would come out of this is that I I kind of think that after COVID, uh, I mean, I I don't want everyone to be OCD and germaphobes or anything, but I but I think people will be more apt to not go into work when they have a regular cold and that sort of thing. And now uh, expanding on that, now once people have a Fitbit, uh, once people are having, uh, getting alerts before they even have symptoms and isolating themselves in the future and distancing themselves from others, wow, that's, uh, that, that is changing so far beyond COVID that has such massive in- implications in terms of lives saved from the flu and productivity and eventual, uh, e- even in terms of economic costs mm-hmm. of sick days and everything else. This is huge. Totally agree. Totally agree. And so we think it's here to stay, these alarming systems. And, you know, uh, and a few comments on that, you know, kids, uh, when they get sick, right, you don't send them to school. But imagine you don't send them to school now and, you know, they're sick, they're getting something before they have symptoms. So normally, we, you know, they get their, they'll show up at school and they'll start feeling ill and then you pull them out. But by then they've already infected all their classmates. So you can actually tell them ahead of time, look, I think something's up. Maybe better stay home today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and same with, I mean, especially for caregivers, if you think about like, uh, well, my mom passed away, but uh, before that, she was 91 years old, living on the East Coast, 3,000 miles away. And every now and then she'd go quiet, I think because she'd leave her phone off the hook. <laughs> so we'd all be scrambling, all, all the kids, all our kids would be, there were six of us, all be scrambling like, what's going on with mom? Is she okay? Is she not okay? So we'd have to call, you know, there's a there's a caretaker up there who would stop by to see a show, right? She's always all right. But yeah. if you had a smartwatch on her, you'd just know, oh, she's fine, you know, right? We just fine. It's all good. Yeah. So when you're taking care of someone, it's a, it's a great monitoring system to making sure they're okay. But even for yourself to do what you just said, not spread illness around. Yeah, I think it's a big, big deal. It's here to stay. Here's another way to look at this whole thing, too, which is, you know, you have a car. I assume. <laughs> Maybe you don't. But yeah. lots of people have, most people have a car. And you have a dashboard on your car that measures all kinds of things. Measure gas, measure when your temperature goes up, the engine light goes off, measures all sorts of things. Would you drive your car around without any gauges as a blank screen there? I don't think so. Right. You kind of like to know when your gas is running low or if the engine lights go. So why don't we do it for humans? Humans are more important than cars, in my opinion. So why wouldn't you have sensors besides your internal ones, which are kind of slow? Like, I mean, right. the, the only thing people use now is they stick a thermometer in your mouth, which is probably one of the worst things you can be doing for COVID because a lot of people don't get fever. Yeah. from COVID. So now it's true for other viruses. They usually do get a fever, but for COVID, I, I'm not sure what the numbers are, but it could be as much as half people never get a fever. So, and here they are. This is what I'm talking about, old technology. They'll stick a thermometer in your mouth. If they don't even know your baseline, it won't even work very well anyway. <laughs> yeah. So if it's I, 98.6, so you're out. So, the, you know, if you're 94 and it comes out 98.6, they'll tell you you're fine, but you probably are ill. That's a problem there. And the other thing, it's just, it turns out resting heart rate is just a much, much better measure of when things are off. Mm. So again, we're using old technology. We're using 19th century technology to go after a 21st century problem. It just doesn't make any sense. Um, it, This is... 
that's uh, that one's gonna the temperature the body temperature thing that's one of those i i mean it has it has uh important implications but that's also one of those fun facts that i i know right now i'm gonna be sharing with a whole bunch of people <laughs> i never really thought about the variance this is why people talk about what you know some people run hot or some people feel yeah. cold or don't need interesting i wonder if in the future like dating apps or something you'll be able to like <laughs> see your ideal temperature of your cuddle buddy or, or well yeah it could raise <laughs> other kinds of issues too you know when you're around certain individuals your heart rate might jump up probably does jump up both for anxiety and maybe love interest i don't know but it, it could jump up for all kinds of reasons so you may want to be a little careful how you share that information directly <laughs> right. with someone else i suppose but right but certainly right. from a health perspective perspective it's the thing to do by the way mine is always well it's 97.3 it's been dropping over the last eight years my my body temperature it's not 98.6 <laughs> i i remember um reading boy i wish i could remember the title of it. It, it was it was some some book by machio kaku like 15 years ago or something like that that was all about futuristy kind of stuff and he was talking about the uh you know, tur turning your your bathroom into uh, the doctor's office and having, uh, you, you know, you're flushing your urine, you're flushing urine and stool samples every single day. This could potentially be extremely valuable data and information. This is stuff that could that that could one day, um, and, and if if people started implementing it much sooner than later, uh, be be telling people if they're detecting you know detecting cancer long before um it it would people are building standard. smart toilets believe it or not yeah the, it's already happening yeah that's amazing so that, the yeah so there's several groups that are doing that to measure chemicals in your stool even your stool to look for blood in your stool is a big deal so uh because that can be signs of different kinds of illnesses so they're yeah so that's happening uh it's not there yet but that's one of the things people work in the other sort of thing i could add is that you, you know you think about how people live these days even before covid like my family my i'm the only one who used to go to stores my my kids my my wife they all shopped online even before covid of course we're all totally on live shopping now but you think about medicine was one of these fields where everybody went to the doctor and for some things that makes a heck of a lot of sense but now it, you know it just doesn't make that much sense why would you go to a doctor to get sick because there's going to be all these sick people there mm -hmm. if you can make a whole bunch of measurements at home like especially passively with a smartwatch or other means then that's a lot easier and so i think there'll also be fingerprint tests where you mail things a lot of the things they measure in a doctor's office you don't have to see a doctor for mm. and as i said some of them are not very good your heart rate is a terrible measurement in the doctor's office because it can bounce all over the place depending whether you you know, whether you, in my case, bike there versus drove there versus, you know, if you're got a lot of anxiety, your heart rate will jump up. Time of day has a big factor. Whereas if you pull your resting heart rate off first thing in the morning, you actually have a pretty good idea of your health. Uh, and so these are more accurate than what you measure in a doctor's office. And in terms of uh, uh, there's your your doctor trying to provide the best care that that he, uh, that they can uh he or she might 
have have you for 30 minutes a year and have this have this one little data point of how how you're doing in this moment that they that they see you and using their steth their 200 year old stethoscope and whatnot <laughs> whereas if, if you if you have uh, your uh, your your wearables uh, potentially directly linked to your um your medical professionals they they can uh, it's something you might not even have to think about. Your doctor can reach out to you when he sees or when he or she sees something abnormal. Hundred percent agree. And the same thing when this first, this is another problem with the the medical side. When we were first proposing this stuff, the instant reaction from physicians was, "Well, Mike, that's nice, but everybody knows wearables aren't very accurate." And then I would say, mm -hmm. "Well, actually, for heart rate, they're better than what you're measuring your doctor's office." And I think one of the good things about the pandemic is that it has been a wake up call. This telehealth doing medicine remotely first of all it's convenient a lot of people can do it single moms for example don't have to take off work <laughs> to get to a doctor's office they can do it um or they can squeeze it at lunch break what have you and so you can actually it's more convenient for most people and some of the things you can measure like you say they'll be better so i think this idea of remote measurements and things is here to stay at some level now there's still a lot to get worked on here there's still our medical systems broken in other ways in the sense that um we're really trained to go to a physician when we're ill we don't really have people often going to a physician when they're healthy which we should do and physicians you hit on another point they never look at your previous data so if you're starting to go off on something they probably would miss it so if your baseline is low and you're a little bit higher when they when you go in and get measured on something, say glucose, and you come out normal, but you're really elevated for you, they probably wouldn't recognize that. And so we need to be able to see what people's trajectories look like when it comes to health so we can catch this earlier again and, and try and mitigate anything that's going on. So I, I, I'm a big believer people should be getting measured a lot more often when they're healthy. Yeah. So we can build trajectories, just like your car, you're measuring your car, you take it in for checkups, <laughs> so, probably more often than you take yourself in for checkups. Same with, uh, you know, an ecosystem or so, you, you, you know, the, the, your, your thermometer on a given day isn't, uh, it isn't giving you terribly reliable information about climate change over the span of a decade without without seeing the data from the different trajectories and the patterns and what the uh, what the base uh the base rates are in various it's and if yeah well it's really nice to con right to contextualize the information too about your health it turns out the other thing we've discovered by doing these measurements on me and it's this 109 group of people they're probably the most studied people on the planet uh we actually have discovered their seasonal patterns in people's data that mm. some things are higher in certain seasons and this is kind of amusing but um we asked a rather naive question you know how you're told since day zero that um you know there are four seasons in the year and they last three months each and we said well where does that come from maybe there's really 15 seasons maybe there's three seasons who knows how many seasons are let's take a look at people's normal patterns and see how many biological seasons there are now our individuals are all from the bay area uh with a few exceptions we're in southern california but we basically said well let's look at the biological patterns in the data and once you know it it turns out there are two biological seasons in northern california 
Mm. So you might say, well, of course, that makes sense. California, it's nice and sunny. There's two biological seasons. One's probably winter, one's probably summer. And so, sure enough, one was winter. Uh, it turns out that there's a lot of biological molecules that peak in winter. There, uh, and But the other wasn't winter at all. It turns out it's April, May is when a lot of things peak. And that's in hindsight due to allergies and asthma we think are peaking then, but also a lot of metabolic health markers. Even in California, we think people are relatively dormant mm -hmm. during the winter months compared to, say, spring and summer when they start becoming active and then a lot of their cardiometabolic markers improve uh, as spring comes. So you can see that. And then there's other things we don't understand. There's markers associated with neuropsychological health that actually seems to peak in April and May. So I, I don't know if that relates to some of the winter, you know, maybe enclosure and semi-dormancy. And so anyway, but the mm. point is that we, people haven't really discovered those patterns before. And I think that's useful again for establishing people's baselines. Mm -hmm. So you can try and improve on them during times when maybe winter people should make a little bit of extra effort to get some of the markers. And also maybe don't panic when if markers get a little bit low, oh, spring's coming and I know you're no more bad and you're come out of this, you'll be just fine. Yeah. So you can, information we think can really be used to better manage people's health. Yeah, I wanted I wanted to address the panic. I, I think and maybe some listeners would be worried about the anxiety. Some of these things might, uh, uh, might lead to, I had a, uh, not to, uh, uh, I'll, I'll apologize for um, uh, crude bathroom humor on my fancy science podcast, but it, it, I had in my um, album, uh, My Big Break, a few years ago, I talked about that, that toilet taking measurements from you and how that would kind of take some of the relaxation out of out of the out of the morning <laughs> deuce because you're like going to find out when you're going to die each day basically so is i uh, uh, the the question is are these are some of these things going to be a source of stress for you know there's individual differences and what can be done to uh, mitigate that or what would you say to people in that situation yeah i think it's up to the person to have control of that kind of information if you're a, a super worrier you don't want people worrying all the time, just like you just said that, gosh, if I do this, I may learn something that's super evil and that's gonna affect my mental health. That's not very help helpful either. I think what you wanted to do, you could set up these systems so they operate in the background, mm -hmm. like they could fire off to say your spouse perhaps, or maybe your physician as you described, who could follow this. And if things seem to really be off, then they could suggest, well, you know, it's time he might come in for a physical uh, and, and you know, let's get you in here and, and do some tests. Uh, and so I think that would probably be helpful. Yeah, you don't want, for example, if people get their, their DNA sequence and they see what they're at risk for. You don't want them waking up every morning saying, oh, am I going to get breast cancer? Am I going to get breast cancer? Mm. But on the other hand, you do want to know if you are at high risk because then you would get checked more often. And, and so I think you've got to find the right balance. I think most people actually would like to hear what they're at risk for and then basically, you know, have these increased tests. We're all at risk for something, by the way. <laughs> right. None of us are going to live to be 200 years old just yet anyway. Yeah. And so we're all at risk for certain things. So it's useful to know 
what those things are. So again, you can be on the lookout for them, whether it's diabetes or heart attacks or what have you. Again, you can have people getting checked more in those areas and maybe take the right drugs. So people on my father's side, they died of heart failure, usually before they were 70. And that's kind of useful for me to know. Now we can do much more advanced measurements mm. on people and say, well, yeah, you really are having some issues here and you should you know, take better care of yourself, exercise more, eat better. Uh, and you might say, well, you should do that anyway. That's all they're gonna tell me. But I'll tell you, it's a real kick in the pants when you see some of these markers going off mm. that, uh, you know, this is your heart health and this is heading in a, you know, not so good direction and your markers are off. You know, you really, now's not the time to be goofing off, you know, get on that treadmill or get out on that path, right. <laughs> start exercising. So, uh, and, and, or maybe take drugs in some cases. Yeah. Well, this, I mean, uh, there, there might be kind of, uh, in, in terms of from the, from the just, um, that, that that's great to do preemptive screening and diagnose things before they're symptomatic and all of that but there are these these tools could potentially be used in terms of uh uh in increasing kind of positive psychology increasing well-being if you say you know i i'm i'm someone that seems to usually be negative negatively impacted by seasons and i'm like oh i better watch out for january february a little more susceptible to depression and we tend to do that because when the depression or anxiety or whatever hits that's so salient and we're trying to avoid that but but another thing that that people may want to be just as mindful of is when you have a good day a good week you might be able to sit look back and say oh was it looks like i went to bed 30 minutes earlier um, over the last week, maybe that influenced why I was in such a chipper mood all week and find find some things like that. Yeah, absolutely. So in fact, uh, we are building uh, artificial intelligence, uh, using that actually to build personalized models for people to do exactly what you just said. Start associating good days and bad days and try to figure out what makes a good day for you and a bad day. And we're also doing this in areas where you may have heard of this, it's called chronic fatigue syndrome, where people actually have, in severe cases, they're bedridden. And so we're trying to figure out for this particular class of individuals, what makes a good day and what makes a bad day. Um, and so we, we'd like to then build that, and that will be very personalized. So I wanna ask, uh, I, I imagine I'm curious. I imagine I have listeners that are much more uh, curious, and I and I know that through uh, all of all of COVID, boy, have I I never seen so much paranoia and distrust in science and medicine and and everything else, and um and people might have questions about uh privacy issues being monitored is this something that that um that that could be used to uh, might insurance companies eventually demand that we're getting x number of steps on a fitbit in a day for us to be covered and what uh do you one do you have any of those concerns two uh, i i imagine you've heard people uh uh, express some of those concerns before. What do you sure. have to say? Yeah, well, I think a couple of comments, Sarah. In terms of privacy, um, 
you know, I hate to say it, but one comment would be get over it. <laughs> I was You're, I was thinking that before the interview. I was because, I wasn't uh, gonna say it, but I was gonna say like your yeah, pri- no, it's privacy is canceled. Thing to say. It's, it's gone. What like. is because I hate to say it, but you know your credit card company knows where you are at all times, and that's got incredibly yeah. personal information. Yeah, yeah. And people have gotten used to that, right? That the, this credit card company knows everything about all the things you're buying that maybe you wouldn't want to be public right but they know it all and so I, and they know where i am and in the old days right my credit card company used to shut me down whenever i'd show up in a strange place like i go to europe they said well you know boom check. now they know i'm in europe because <laughs> i booked my tickets already it's all there yeah, the yeah. info's all there and they never shut me down yeah. so of course i don't travel but you know what i'm saying right so so on one hand there's that on the other hand uh i would say that a lot of this information is benign so my data is all public including my genome sequence and most of the 109 people same thing so and nobody's ever been abused by it and we've only been helped by it so from the first uh three years we've been following people we had 49 major health discoveries learned something really important about people's health like discovered some with early lymphoma kind of cancer or discovered to be with serious heart issues this kind of stuff so we would argue these measurements Sure, you, you, maybe you'd worry about them, but it's great to catch that stuff early because then you can treat it. In all these cases, it was found early before symptoms appeared. Mm-hmm. So again, I would argue the health benefits greatly outweigh the privacy. And if you do have early lymphoma, you want to catch it now. And and here mm-hmm. I'm conflicted, but we've spin companies off of this stuff. One is called QBio that does deep measurements. And right, same thing right off the bat, we caught some of the early prostate cancer, another person with uh, um, pancreatic cancer. We have another company called January that's actually doing glucose monitoring. That's actually doing using AI, like I described, to follow your glucose patterns and make food recommendations for you so that you will actually eat food that doesn't spike your glucose. It's a great way to control diabetes. By the way, if you ever try one of these continuous glucose monitors, they're very powerful. They'll train you very quickly what you should and shouldn't eat. And then we have on top of that, uh, this company recommenders for to help you do that, to help you select the right foods to eat. So I think this is, you know, let's use data in a fashion that can be yeah. very, very powerful for you. Uh, you don't want to scare people again. You don't want people to freak out. And and you don't want to be abused by the system either. Yeah. Uh, that is to say, you don't want somebody to cut you off of insurance. Now, for genetics, you can't be cut off for life insurance or health and health plans by your genetics. But other kind of information not yet protected. I would argue if that starts happening even before, we should protect people from that happening. Yeah. And if you think about many countries, not U.S., but many countries who have better health systems that are cheaper, they actually have some minimal level of health care, like Canada, a lot of European company, countries. And so... You can actually, they, they can roll all the stuff out and, you know, you won't get cut off and they'll help you catch disease early. They're actually better positioned than the U.S. is for implementing some of this kind of mm. new technologies, be able, again, better manage people's health. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I was kind of thinking about it this morning and, and I, it, yeah, I, I think, I think people have had concerns about privacy since the dawn of humanity. I, I think lo- long before there was any any such technologies, people were worried about 
you know, getting privacy in whatever hunter gatherer tribe they were in or whatever <laughs> else. And I, I think it's, I think it's just kind of a, a default um, emotion and, and not, not to be dismissive of it, but, but, you know, not every, not, not every spider that we see is an actual threat to us, even though we <laughs> evolved that maybe some anxieties uh, away from it. And, and so in thinking about these things, I, I do think that as I get very excited by technology and maybe even maybe even too much, there's other people that have a nat natural um, aversion uh, to it. And so you know I, I, I hope that maybe maybe people just consider where that's coming from and and if right. like you said where where the uh, if, well, I if think the they're benefits. worried about getting right. I think they're worried about losing their health plans and things like that. Right. And I think if we can assure them, and if that's, you know, the reason we need government is to do things for people they can't do for themselves. And mm -hmm. one of those is, in, you know, making sure people have some level of provisions for their health, I would argue. And so to me, it's just logical. It doesn't mean they have to have a Cadillac health care plan. But you don't want people not having any health right. uh, access to health things. Well, the other thing I'll comment, which we haven't touched on, which is pretty cool, is that back on the wearables and the smartwatches, you can reach anywhere in the world, anywhere in the country with these devices. I don't know if you know, but 60% of the planet has a smartphone. And if you pair that with a smart watch, you can actually be following people's health and that can relay back to their physician, even if they live in remote locations. And a lot of the country does live pretty remotely mm. and they don't have good access. They don't have a physician nearby. Some of these very, very small towns, you know, they don't have, you can drive two hours to, but with these, these monitoring systems, you can actually bring some, it's like Cadillac, but some level of, health monitoring, health management to people remotely that you can never do before. So I, I do see this moving quickly. And so people worry about inequities with these new technologies. And it's true, the rich do get access to some of them before the poor. But I think some of these technologies can spread out very quickly to everyone. And that's certainly our goal. We want to get them out to right now our in this wearable study, we want to do 10 million people. I want to get out to a billion people yeah. or more. Uh, I'm I'm rooting for you. That's amazing. Do you do you do you also see um, the some of the uh, with with data being um, sent and processed? Do you see some of what uh, what doctors are doing kind of being automated by artificial intelligence now in terms of uh, in terms of differentiating different levels and in, in, in the kind of data analysis that uh, I do. Yeah. Uh, so this, but it's not going to replace doctors, right? It's only going to help them. And a classic example is radiology. So when they take images of you from something called an MRI or things, when they're looking for cancer, they make images of you. And until recently, these were all read by pathologists, uh, yeah. physicians who look over, who try and spot, well, that looks like cancer. That's not, this is benign. That might be more problematic. Now you can have computers read those images and they're way more accurate than the doctor. Yeah. And so then the doctor reviews them and helps in the decision-making process. And in some cases, by the way, the decisions will all be done by AI as well. Yeah. So I do think AI will take over. I do think your smartphone will be your most important 
help tool the future, but they're not going to replace your physicians. They're only going to help them. And I think physicians are now just starting to realize that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm not worried about physicians losing their jobs. First of all, I think, <laughs> I think if this pandemic's shown us anything, it's that the doctors aren't sitting around twiddling their thumbs. They have, they have way too much on their plate as is, and even more so with everything going on right now in our, our healthcare system seemingly being overrun in, in many aspects and the the long-term impacts of the healthcare workers that, that we will have lost and everything else by the time this is said and done, this is, we're going to need all the help that we can get on that front. So I think that's, Absolutely. I think that's incredible. Yeah. If we can, if we can get a lot of, uh, some help from technology and people like yourself. All right. Lastly, let's just, let's just throw you all the plugs. Everyone's fully on board now. What's everything people, people are all in. They want all of it to get, give people everywhere they can go to find out more, to get involved, to get you more of the data that you need to, uh, to help improve these things. And, and let's, let's, uh, make, make some small, I, I don't think you're going to reach the, your billion dollar number off of this <laughs> podcast alone, but we'll, we'll get a start. Great. Well, yeah, what we'd really like to do is get people enrolled in our wearable study because I'd really like to get these algorithms improved e even further. We, we want to bring in other data types. So we'd love to have you enroll in our, we call it our smartwatch, our wearables COVID-19 study so we can detect infectious disease, not just COVID-19, but all infectious diseases. Uh, and so the way you do that is you go to our website, which is innovations.stanford.edu slash wearables, and that will get you there, and please do enroll. Uh, we do run other studies as well, but this is the one we think we could get out to literally millions of people and impact their health right now, and I think really help uh, control the pandemic. The vaccine will be a great help, but we're going to need more than that. Yeah, uh, we need early detection and we're going to need things to last well beyond the COVID era. Flu is still going to be an issue. And these pandemics, this is not the last one humankind's going to see. So yeah, we yeah. want to be prepared for all this. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, there's no, uh, uh, it sure would be nice if there was a uh, silver bullet out there solution that, that was a cure-all that fixed all of our problems, but it's just not, we need to throw everything that we can at these things. But this, this does seem like, uh, something that would, would create amazing, yeah. uh, tremendous global change. Right. And I'll, I'll add one more thing, yeah. which is I mentioned earlier that we could detect 81% of the cases and that was just with one kind of data. So I'm convinced the more people we get to join our study, the more we're going to get these algorithms and wow. this whole detection system improved. So our mission is to get it to 100%. And uh, I'm pretty confident we can get close to that, actually, because of the kinds of data that you collect that should tell your your health uh, uh, at an incredible level. That's amazing. Well, thank you, Michael Snyder, so much for uh, joining me and for all of the work that you're doing. Um, this is... Uh, Boy, any anyone doing anything to try to get a handle on on this pandemic is uh, is my hero, and this I think this is going to be a huge uh, huge change in in the war on on COVID and future pandemics to come, and just overall 
uh, improvement of health for people and, and well-being. So I'm very excited. I can't wait. I, I look at next time you see me. I know. Me, we got to load you up. Next time you see me, <laughs> I'm going to be wearing these things. Fully loaded. We love it. Absolutely. We love it. Yeah, you know, might, might as well collect data. You will learn a lot just by doing that. I can't wait. And I think, and you'll learn helpful oh, stuff too. You, you know what? La last thing. Yeah. But, Let's say I'm going to dip my toes into this world. I don't have anything right now. What's what's the first absolute best ground floor thing that, you know, I'm not sure, sure what I think about this stuff. I don't want to be overwhelmed with having to read a bunch of instructions and learning a new thing. What's what's a good place to start? Oh, uh, well, I'd say get a smartwatch and we'll... And then visit our website and okay. download an app. That'll, that's the easiest way to get started. But if you want to start seeing some videos, you can visit our lab website. Uh, you'll see it through the address I just mentioned, or Snyder Lab will get you there. You can see a few videos of, of these same kinds of talks. Mm. But I think if you really want to be active right now, go get a smartwatch, download the app, and off you go. Awesome. I'm doing it. Can't wait. Uh, well, thank you so much. And thank you listeners for being such wonderful, curious people. We'll talk with you next week. All right, everybody. That was, uh, such a good episode that, like I said, at the top of the show, I decided to go all in. I got a Fitbit Versa 3. I'm not recommended that one. I, I, I did a little bit of research, looked fine enough. I don't spend a bunch of time looking into what makes this one better than the what I wanted a Garmin. It was a little more expensive. I'm on a budget. I got this. So get you know you you if if you do the research, you'll find the one for you. This isn't sponsored by any of them. Um, so uh, I, I will just share my experience so far. This is without the. So I signed up um, for the study. By the way, uh, which I, uh, first I'll just talk about the the wearable. Um, but I signed up for the study. If you go to innovations.stanford.edu slash wearables, you can sign up. It took me maybe, I don't know, is that 15 minutes? Something, maybe it was a little more than that. Not, not too long. And it was, uh, it was all pretty easy, pretty straightforward. There's in terms of like, in terms of like trust set, you know, we brought up trust on this and like, Oh, who's getting data? What are the possible, you know, as we're worrying about Big Brother encroaching on our lives and everything else. And I'll, I'll tell you, it's it's worth, even if you aren't going to sign up, it's worth looking at just to see that, you know, terms and conditions and that sort of stuff. Way, way clearer. If you want to, if you want to restore some faith in science, by the way, look, look at, read all of it. You know, like the terms and conditions that no one in their right mind would ever read for like every single app on the planet? Well, read all of the terms and you'll see it's simple, it's straightforward, it's warning you about like getting pricked by, a, a, you know, a needle uh, potentially to draw blood and, you know, things like that. And, and, um, and I, I'm really excited about it uh, for a bunch of reasons. But first, I'll no, I'll I'll go into the reasons. So I have been here, uh, hunkered down, 
at my at my parents since the start of this. I had no idea how long this is going to end when I started and lost all my income and everything else. Just came for a visit, ended up being a whole quarantine, getting ready to tour, trying to take advantage and and write a book and do all of these uh these other things. And it's been really, uh really great and great spending bunch of time with my family which I never uh, get to see I'm I'm always on the road and um, I don't get to spend that much time with them so uh, so this is <laughs> everyone's getting their fill but the point is is that I have people that I've been wanting to visit and I just haven't felt comfortable I I haven't been you know I'm I'm cautious with who I uh, go and meet up with like go for a hike with or whatever like I, I won't meet up with anyone that like goes out to bars or does any social events or anything. I, I won't be anywhere in the vicinity, mask or not. No thanks. Um, uh, well, we'll hit you up after the vaccine. But I have like my brother, for example, and a good friend of mine are are both. Um, uh, well, my brother's wife, my sister-in-law, are, are both immunocompromised. I've been wanting to visit them. I've been super safe, super, super, super bubbled. And my parents are safe, but my dad has uh, has to go to work. He's uh, He had one employee get COVID um, once already. He, uh, you know, we, we had a, a couple, um, I had a uncle and aunt get, um, get COVID and it's, you know, we're not around them, but stopped by wearing masks or my sister went to my aunt's house to measure a thing for a job and she didn't say she had symptoms and she did and everyone needed it. So there's just all of the, all this stuff where there's been like enough close calls, even in my tight knit safe, because you still got to go out, even, even grocery stores, you know, there's a risk. I really recommend um, people trying to order groceries at the peak of this. So if you think that's too, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just, just that's what I would suggest to anybody. Um, just because you might like it more anyway. Uh, it might turn out to be a life hack. And if it is, then why, why not? If you end up liking it more than actually going into the grocery store and being manipulated by the way they've arranged all of the things to get you to buy a bunch of crap you don't need um, by ordering things online and storing your list. If that's, you might find you like that more. Anyway, um, the, the point is, is that, is that even when you're super, super, super careful and basically never leave the house other than for a jog or a hike or something like that, um, uh, or to you know sit outside, then there there's still a chance. I you know I could still get COVID at any time, and so for me to go uh, to other people's places that are being even more cautious than I am because they're by themselves um, and completely like my brother works from home and just completely quarantined, and I would love to go and visit and uh, you know to get a test and but test isn't always going to catch it at the, you know, there's still just the tiniest chance. And if I, if I gave COVID to someone else, I would feel awful about it. Uh, way, way worse than getting COVID myself. I don't understand how people aren't understanding that. Um, 
Like, come on, get with it, people. This is a great opportunity to be pro-social, uh, doing really simple things that are also protecting yourself and your own interests. Um, but anyway, because of this, because it's an just an added layer that I'm I'm going to get an alert if I start getting readings that maybe I have uh, gotten a virus or an infection, a cold, the flu, COVID, whatever, my heart rate changes, whatever, and, and I get pinged and get an alert days before, like I said, up to 10 days before uh, symptoms in some cases where I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't be getting a test until there's cheap, fast testing more readily available. In my area, you can't even get them without a symptom, which is completely insane that we don't have like daily tests that we can just take. Um, but we don't. And that's another reason that stops me from being able to go and and do things for my mental health and, and visit with others, others that are being super careful. Um, and because of this, that's just an extra layer of certainty. None of this stuff is a magic bullet, but another layer of certainty that I'll be able to have. So now I'm going to, at the end of this month, I'm gonna go and visit my brother who I've been wanting to see more. I, I'm, I'm gonna go and visit a friend of mine who I've, who I've been uh, uh, wanting to see and, um, and, uh, and so, you know, this, this thing is, is buying me freedom to do that and, and, and uh, safety and not just that, but the idea that I could have a, I could be alerted to something being off and know that maybe a cold is on the way before I get it and start taking like emergency or zinc or what I, I don't know which I'm not endorsing any of those things. I don't know anything about any of that stuff, but do some research and start taking some stuff um preventatively and maybe even never even having symptoms because of those things that i'm doing or the symptoms that i do have being lesser i mean that's amazing to me I did, i've gone all of covid without getting a single cold or anything else because of all the distancing and everything and normally with all the traveling that i do i'm getting a i'm getting a cold four times a year easily and just that just a simple cold is still nothing i mean it can knock you out for a week and it's gross to be around people which is hopefully canceled we're not we're not having runny noses <laughs> around one another anymore uh after covid but to to be able to give it a heads up so that i could maybe take some whatever this and that supplement or herbal thing or whatever that might make that little bit of difference when caught early on like covid for example which has multiple treatments at different stages you know like they don't you don't test positive for covid and they don't intubate you uh just because you tested positive there's different treatments for different stages and the sooner you can get on top of those early stages, it might not progress to the to the latter stages. And it's you could use that same logic with anything, with the flu, with the cold, 
whatever. And I've been, I truly have for years because I have, I get more because I'm in airplanes and everything else. And I'm always, uh, I'm a healthy person, but I'm always getting, you know, shake a hundred hands with people after shows and stuff. I'm a biological vector. <laughs> I'm getting colds. I'm spreading them around. And it was just, you know, a regular part of life that we all lived with. And I'd ask, many times I'd ask, why aren't we doing anything about the cold? You heard me ask about this on uh, on the show uh, the, this summer, perhaps. Um, Olamide? Is that her name? Alameda Jarrett is joining me. Alameda, thank you so much for joining me today. And she was like, "Well, you know, it's just not a not a priority. It's not harmful enough, so it's not a priority." Well, I don't want a cold. If there's something that I can do to manage it, to catch it ahead of time, to not spread it to other people, wow, what a what a better world we'd be. And think about the think about the economic um, impact that would have if people had less coal. You could be like, I'm not talking about being a hypochondriac and being in a bubble that, that'll, that has its own downsides and, and, uh, and, you know, you can create allergies and we've talked about the hygiene hypothesis and, and everything else. But, but that, like, that's a, it, like, so yeah, you don't need to like let something like a fear of getting a cold stop you from doing anything um, in life. But if someone was like, "Hey, here's a here's a um, we're going to give you a cold. Here's a a light cold and here's a hard cold. Which would you take? You would take the light cold, and no one would be like, "Well, you know, it'll be a good workout." for my immune system if I have the worst cold possible. Anyone that says that is uh, out of their minds and, not, <laughs> and doesn't, doesn't know what they're talking about, but, the, but we do tell ourselves um, stories like this. Uh, just, I, I suppose as a self-defense so we can live our lives as normally and as conveniently as possible. But think about if people if people stop like at the first sign of some symptoms, people just start isolating themselves just for a few days. Think of the amount of disease and virus spread that that stops when when things normally like go all through an entire office. Think of the productivity that's lost compared to just like a couple people quarantining themselves and working from home for a week like in the future you know after covid just a cold whatever the the possibilities for this are endless and in terms of i i kept on thinking about because uh, i know people are are going to i know just from talking with so many people some there's so much distrust out there they're after me everyone's after me and yet you have a every right to be concerned about privacy and and uh and everything else and not sharing your data and this and that um but you know there's trade-offs with everything in life and in terms of where my trust is it people are like i hear people like well uh, what a what about the Tuskegee experiments 
science lost our trust because they like cherry picked a thing off of their uh, off of their conspiracy meme. You know who's lost my trust in 2020 is science deniers. How about these conspiracy zealots that peddled 5G and every other damn scary tale you could think of? People that you can't reason with? People that no matter what you say, they have a bunch of what about isms like I'm doing right now. What about this? What about that? And and it, just one thing after another. It, and it, you can't like, hey, will you put a will will you put a mask on? Well, next they're gonna be putting us in cages and masks don't work and blah blah blah. All of these it, it, like n nonsense all of the time it was designed they designed a hoax virus to do this and that is it a hoax or is it dangerous or what uh, uh, can we make up our minds on one thing you you these conspiracy zealots you're clearly getting all your crap from conspiracy meme dot com or wherever the hell all these dumb memes are that i see the exact same flawed, outrageous, made-up statistic day in and day out. Like, you know, there's a hot one that week that everyone has to go, and now it's our responsibility to debunk some dabber telling scary tales that hasn't figured out how to do any bit of research that hasn't taken a course on immunology or anything else that's who i've lost trust with you you worrying about <laughs> you worrying about trusting people i put my i put my trust in standard uh, stanford health i put my trust in in the scientific method over some paranoid zealots ridiculous trolling any day of the week <laughs> any day of the week those are the ones that have some trust to rebuild in our uh society as i'm uh recording this having you know just endless every every day with this uh, so i'm opting in like i like i talked about with nina pfefferman i'm that's my default i'm opting in to science i'm happy to be a guinea pig for a study that will give me a heads up when i'm a little bit under the weather are you are you kidding me <laughs> what's the alternative exactly what's what's the alternative Lighting some incense. It, this supplement will give your brain... <laughs> will, will give your brain uh, supervisor-like skills. You will have a sense of authority when you take this super supplement for your brain speed. <laughs> By the way, you need you don't need to worry about COVID as long as you have Wim Hof scream the Da Vinci Code at your telomeres. Well, in a bubble 
bath made out of <laughs> made out of made out of vitamin D and kettlebells. <laughs> I, I am so over that crap. I'm so done with it. I'm opting in to science. I am so proud to be opting into science. I'm so fortunate for the opportunity to do this, for the opportunity to talk to sane people that work hard and actually care about bettering our lives. And I am so grateful for you guys, for supporting this show, for hanging out with me, for listening in for these conversations. And uh, those of you that listen all the way to the end, you are, of course, my favorites.